Welcome to Feminists Without Mystique, a podcast where we process politics, sex, and the unrelenting firehose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Each week, we begin by venting about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You, and then we'll end with something hopeful, which I guess we'll have to think of. But uh, <laughs> here we are. Here we are. Um, a reminder, if you're enjoying us to rate and review and subscribe, we uh, had a new uh, five-star review recently. Yeah. Wow, what a treat. Always a treat. <laughs> From Scotty May Know. He says, this is a great podcast. These ladies don't shy away from their opinions and they shouldn't. <laughs> These ladies speak the truth. They talk about everything and they are well-informed and think, and I think more people need to listen. No topic is off limits. They talk about everything from masks to Simone Biles to politics. Give this podcast a listen. Thanks, Scotty May Know. I think you do know. <laughs> Scotty, uh, does know. <laughs> Scotty does know. Scotty does know. So great. We love it. We appreciate it. Always down for a, uh, a nice little review. Helps people find us. And uh, you can also lurk us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, if anyone's still on Facebook. <laughs> and uh, follow us there. We're FWM Podcast on everything but Instagram, where we are Feminists Without Mystique. And FWM Podcast is a different, uh, different beast entirely. <laughs> Indeed. 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 Oh, man. We're going to talk about Quom Quoms um, today. We are currently, Maria is over on the East Coast, taking a little vacay, seeing the fam. I'm in my usual spot, braless, <laughs> sweatshirt, sh stained shorts. Uh, you know, mm, living mm, a, mm. a provocative, <laughs> glamorous uh, <laughs> life over here. Me and my friends. I'm actually jealous that you're in a sweatshirt because it means that you're cool enough for a sweatshirt. And I'm currently it's it's really hot out here in uh, Western Mass Massachusetts. Uh, very hot, not air conditioned, feeling a little sticky, shall we say? <laughs> Yeah, it's going to get, it's supposed to get hot here. I think a high 90s tomorrow and Friday. Right now it is 88, but it's air, I'm in air conditioning. So I'm wearing a sweatshirt. Um, no. No shirt underneath. So it's it's a thin, it's a thin sweatshirt, but I do have the privilege of air conditioning. And um, thankfully it'll cool down to 82 by Sunday when I'm going to the Renaissance Fair. Um, Ooh. So that's something to be grateful for. Yeah, yes. she's got, I've been excited for a while about this. Uh, it's the good. It's a fun weekend with like fairies and shit. You know, none of the lame shit. Uh, <laughs> so uh, pretty, pretty excited about that. I wanted to get. I was thinking about like dressing up legit in like a, some garb, which I haven't uh -huh. done since I was a child. Um, but it, a lot of it's expensive, so I ended up buying a peasant dress, uh, and I will be a peasant. It's more in my budget. Yeah. Wow. So, I did not know you were dressing it. up. So a lot of these outfits. Yeah. But Charlie's not. So we're going to be oh. <laughs> mismatched. <laughs> but because um, he told me to find something for him. I'm like, find your own outfit. And now it's less than a week and it's not been found. But um, Charlie, so he'll just be wearing jeans. Like, yeah, he's his shorts. A sword, some chainmail, something, some casual summer chainmail. I know, honestly. He <laughs> just mends, honestly. What about one uh, of those like all, fake horse toys that he could ride <laughs> for jousting? He could. I mean, we could. You know, maybe we'll have to just go to some sort of store and find something for him. Maybe it's it's a little outlandish. Um, but he doesn't have anything to wear. But I'm looking forward. But also, a lot of the costumes have corsets, and I'm pregnant, so I feel like that's not a good <laughs> idea. Squish the, squish the baby. Um, so I'm just gonna be a little peasant, a little peasant vibe, um, yeah. and just gonna live my best life. And uh, you know, I used to go as a child to these these things, and uh, it's been a while. So I decided, hey, live it up. You know, 
I'm really glad that you're going, you know, that that'll be really fun. And, uh, you know, in medieval times, there was a plague. Now there's a plague, you know. It feels, you know it's like, yeah, it's on the nose. Um, yeah. It's outdoors. So I feel like I can stay away from people, but still enjoy the uh, the vibes, maybe some funnel cake. Mm hmm. Um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens, what what adventures the day brings. But you know, that's what's that's what I've had to look forward to, and um, it's uh, gonna be great. Well, I am thrilled for you. I can't wait to hear. You'll have to update update us on the pod next week on on you know your the. I was just about to say frivolity, which doesn't <sighs> frivolous as if <laughs> on the uh, like revelry. Like I'm, I think I was trying mm. to blend. Like yeah, revelry and there will I don't be know. there will be revelry. There's nothing frivolous about a red fair, though. <laughs> no, it's forgive me, my deepest serious. apology. <laughs> thank you, thank you, milady. I appreciate that. Um, I won't be in character, and I won't respond to Charlie if he is in character. I have, I have a vision. Um, it's gonna be fun. I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy myself and just throwback to simpler times when I was a youth and things made sense and you know yeah yeah thanks um but yeah that's <laughs> didn't intend to talk about that but <laughs> it's just a forefront of mind you know it's just something something to, to wag my little tail about of course I'm glad you did I'm glad you did that's uh that'll be fun that'll be great uh -huh. um, I know you're jealous it's exactly your cup of tea so you know, I think I would have fun. I don't know that I could get up the courage to dress up, but it is an act of courage, <laughs> an act of bravery. Well, I also get the same sort of anxiety when I think about dressing up for Halloween. So it's sort of just like I don't know, uncomfortable in my own skin. And so then dressing up, it's like, oh, really? You're gonna like own that? outfit and i don't let's let's see you try and then i just i'm sort of like oh you're right i look dumb i'm gonna maybe, yeah maybe next year we can work you up the courage maybe to, uh, maybe we'll we'll circle back next let's, year let's put a pin in that let's put a, we'll pin, put a pin in it we'll put a pin in it um but yeah we're gonna there's a bunch of shit in the news um that we're not gonna talk about mm -hmm. so we'll get to it <laughs> we'll get to it we're thinking maybe next week we'll do like a news dump or something dump 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 um we'll do a big old dump next week but um this week we're gonna talk about Cuomo Quomes, aka mm -hmm. Cuomo aka almost former governor of New York Cuomo Andrew Cuomo um mm -hmm. has been <laughs> sketchy a sketchy sketch which we've known for a while but shit actually kind of like really hit the fan for him this past week or two um when mm -hmm. it came out that oh at least 11 women were um sexually harassed by cuomo in this detailed uh, report by the state attorney general's office that was released last week um and there were very credible credible allegations um the in the investigators found all 11 women um, were credible, that their accounts were all corroborated uh, to varying degrees. Um, and I guess investigators spoke to 179 people and reviewed 74,000 pieces of evidence. And they said that that evidence painted a deeply disturbing yet clear picture. Um, Cuomo has been denying it. Investigators say we found his denials to lack credibility and to be inconsistent with the weight of the evidence obtained during our investigation. Um, a couple of the allegations, uh, one state employee said that he put his hand on tapped and then grabbed her buttocks at an event, um, in September, 2019. And she actually, in an email that day, was describing the incident and there are 10 other incidents. And he, in his, uh, resignation speech, um, not the, I don't know how you, I'm, I'm curious your take, um, not the most apologetic <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, he said there's no factual basis that he never, which again, the investigators refuted. He said he never crossed the line with anyone 
but he didn't realize the extent to which the line has been redrawn, which I vomited at. Mm-hmm. When referring to at least one of the women who um, made the allegations was a member of a security team. He was talking about how when he passes members of a security team, he'll often grip, you know, a grip of the arm, a touch on the stomach, a pat on the back. It's my way of saying, I see you. I appreciate you. Touch on the stomach. I don't, <laughs> that doesn't feel, this is you defending oh. your, I just, mm. so, I mean, mm-hmm. it's uh, good. He's being held accountable and there's all kinds of, well, you know, we'll get into all the, the things, but there's all kinds of other allegations against him and cover-ups and weird power moves. Um but, you know, him, he's been held accountable by Democrats. Um, it would be great if Matt Gates, Mass, and Cawthorn and Jim Jordan stuff would uh, follow suit on the Republican end of things. But And it's also just like, this is how we're getting the first woman governor of New York State. Uh, is with uh, little Cuomo having to go away for sexually harassing women. Um then by default, mm-hmm. Lieutenant Governor Kathy, I don't know if it's Hochul or Hochul, I think Hochul, um, is going to be mm-hmm. the first governor. So that's kind of the, uh, the spark notes of uh, what's gone on. I am mm-hmm. very glad he's being held accountable. I think it wouldn't be until recent history that that would have been the case. Um, mm-hmm. It's good to see. It's depressing how long <laughs> this went on and how he still doesn't get it and you know he's acting like oh he's just a he's the victim here the line's been redrawn mm-hmm. um, it's normal to touch people on the stomach that work for you you know that's just like a normal thing people do um, but not so much I don't know. what are your what are your thoughts yeah um no that was a great that was a great summary because my thoughts are just like general disgust at the whole situation um although I think like a lot of people pleasantly surprised that he actually felt enough political pressure from his own party to feel that he had to resign. Mm -hmm. Um, It does seem like it's a totally calculated resignation. Um, I hate the idea that he thinks he's going to, he thinks that his resignation and his speech was enough and he's going to try to rehabilitate himself. Um, that kind of like I'm kind of like putting that on a shelf like deal with that another day at least he's at least he's facing some consequences now and that is something that I just want to exist and be happy for um a lot of people uh have pointed out on Twitter um you know like conservatives are like you know calling for Cuomo's head and they're like you know calling out Democrat Democrats for being hypocritical. And it's sort of like, I, I don't necessarily see a whole lot of hypocrisy broadly here because I think the difference between the two parties in this moment are that Democrats have called for his resignation and Cuomo had to cave to, had to bend to the will of the way the rest of the, the democratic party was leaning, which was to resign and Republicans, there's absolutely no pressure for Jim Jordan or Matt Geitz or obviously Trump. I mean, Madison Cawthorn. There are so many people who are in power right now um, who have been credibly accused by multiple people of um, sexual harassment, sexual assaults, yeah, varieties of of, um, of misdeeds that are super inappropriate and unbecoming and should result in immediate resignation. And yet that is never a part of the conversation for Republicans. There's never that sort of pressure. Um, so I don't necessarily see the hypocrisy. Um, it just seems like, yes, there's a lot of warring factions in the democratic party, but, um, at least broadly our party is like calls for, um, people to step down when they are credibly accused, especially after a whole exhaustive investigation um, into these claims that were found to be credible. Also, we kind of knew they were credible before. I mean, there's mm-hmm. been like, there's like a video or a picture of him like being inappropriate with like a young assistant or intern at a wedding. I mean, it's just like this man has obviously operated with such a degree of like, latitude of his own behavior for the, his entire political career. And he comes from a dynasty, uh, like a lineage of 
a political men in New York. Um, so he's just so entrenched. I think he just felt complete. What I read from so much of this is this man felt totally invincible. And then when he got so much positive coverage uh, after his handling of COVID, which of course has also turned out to be <laughs> completely mishandled and like definitely sketchy, but he just became even more puffed up and like on his own ego. And so I think it made this inevitable um, fall from grace even harder for him because he really was about to, t- he was tasting more and more national power, national, um, like national recognition of his, of his efforts and his sort of him kind of as a foil to Trump in the last year in 2020 and like, mm, not so much. So, but I'm also like, you know, it's an exotic, like my other kind of reaction is just like reading the like list of women, like the 11 people who were found to all be credible, just, just circling back to disgust because it's just like how many times, like it's, it's hard to keep the women and the allegations straight. It's hard to keep all the the men who are in power right now who have been credibly accused of sexual assault, sexual harassment, inappropriate touching, inappropriate remarks. Like it it is honestly like you need like a like a a ledger to keep track of all this stuff. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And um, yeah, I agree with I don't see the hypocrisy here. Um, I think there is hypocrisy to be found everywhere in politics but in this instance i mean i don't think anyone was under the impression that there wasn't um you know sexual harassment and corruption and privilege gone awry on both sides (laughs) you know it's just how it's handled is different Mm -hmm. um no one i haven't heard anyone say democrats you know men in, in that are democrats never commit acts of sexual harassment no that's no one's no one's saying that but at least when it happens um at least at this point in time it seems like it's taken seriously and um i mean yeah culturally it's i mean when you look at the olympics and the fucking we talked about the the white man who was allowed to continue olympicking on with his um credible allegations of sexual assault whereas you have a woman of color who is under fire for smoking marijuana in a state where it's legal to smoke marijuana. It's just mm, in general, I think we don't take, we have the me too movement. We have more um, publicity when these things happen, more accountability. And it's nice to see that at this level now people are being held accountable, even when they're in a powerful position like governor of New York. And I hope that that will um, trickle down to a, uh, the rest of uh, the rest of American life and culture, um, mm-hmm. because people act like there's there's this huge reckoning going on right now, and I think you know this is an example. There is a shift, and it is positive, and people are being held accountable. But it's not as if you know we've we haven't solved it. And like we've both mentioned, you know, we look at Mass and Cawthorn and all the the sketchiness on the right when it comes to this, and just not taking it seriously. Um, mm-hmm. and it's uh it's a big issue and i'm just like maybe just being like a messy bitch but i wonder what like andrew's brother chris mm-hmm. is like because i've always i've always liked chris cuomo i don't know him in and out um so if he's been some sort of shit bag i apologize but just from what i have seen i've been i've enjoyed him so i wonder um i wonder what his thoughts are you know mm-hmm I know. I I really feel like he needs to say something. Um, It really would be kind of, and even if he just says like, look, he's my brother. This is a very difficult time (laughs) for me, for my family or, you know, like, but, and if you, he really doesn't feel like he can speak on it, but like he's a mouthpiece on CNN and um, he has a platform and he has a responsibility, you know, um, John Oliver had like a really funny piece on Chris, Chris Cuomo, um, like a couple of years ago, this was like pre pandemic, but it was one of those like smaller pieces that he does where he just like lampoons people. Um, and it was so funny and it was like making fun of his catchphrase. Let's get after it. It was making fun of like the way that Chris Cuomo, 
talks about talks to and about his producer Rose, like kind of jokingly, but it's still like, oh my god, I feel so bad for her. Um, but it just kind of anyway, the man is um, kind of comical in some ways, but I do think. I mean, he got, I think, where he was. And same with Andrew Cuomo. I mean, just like their dad, Mario Cuomo, was a governor of New York for I don't know how many years. But like their family is super powerful in New York and in New York politics. And with this being such a huge story um, and he works at CNN. um, Yeah, he has a responsibility to weigh in in some capacity and I will be generous towards like what he has to say, but just like, it's important that he say something. Yeah, I think so. And in the past, he's been like, I'm not going to talk about my brother because it's a conflict of interest. But I think, um, I think it's fair for uh, us to hope that he'll, I mean, you're a journalist, you know, it's a, it's relevant to to bring up um and also was it a conflict of interest when he had his brother right. on constantly when they were talking about constantly COVID? constantly <laughs> like pumping him up when it was when everyone was like chomping at the bit for andy andy c you know he's yep. always on people were just like standing there like i guess it's not a bromance if they're brothers but um those people were loving their little back and forth and he yeah he was constantly on like everything mm-hmm. i saw with about Andrew Cuomo at the time was like being interviewed by his brother. Um, mm-hmm. So it's an interesting pick and choose, uh, pick and choose vibe. And um, yeah, outside of the, the harassment issues, um, which are <laughs> enough uh, Cuomo and also Andrew Cuomo, apparently um, back in several years ago, call the U S attorney's bosses and, we're trying to basically stop an investigation into him that was um, looking into political corruption. Um, there's yeah. a Pharaoh piece on that. So it's, there's um, a lot of uh, <laughs> sketchiness to put it lightly surrounding Andrew Cuomo. And you see this often. I feel like when you find a lot of, um, you know, verified complaints of sexual harassment and, mistreatment of people there's often other types of political corruption that accompany it yeah um, like Kavanaugh and his sketchy money situations and um it, it seems that there's generally a whole whether where there's smoke there are there's big smoke there are a few different fires going on um yep. so I mean it's just in this like the cockiness of Andrew Cuomo is yep. very obvious i mean the, his fucking press conference <laughs> his resignation just he thinks he is god's gift um and that's the thing is people who think they can get away with anything and historically mm-hmm. have because they've had the power like you've said his family the family he comes from um he has been protected for so long and i hope that this is <laughs> maybe one day we can get to a place where there isn't so much corruption you know and things are just transparent and people aren't like running around being like mobsters, you know, like mm-hmm. Andrew, come on. And I just, yeah. uh, I just hate that this is how we're getting a woman governor for the first time of New York. Like I'm Me glad too. that it's happening, but it's like, ugh, how t- typical of course yeah. we didn't elect her. She fell into the position because her <laughs> fucking male boss was a sexual harassy prick um right and it's like no we couldn't even god i totally agree it's such a painful way to get the first female um governor of new york like oh and it does feel like this is so it's more often than we'd like the case where it's like, Oh, how did she get the position? Well, she was second in line and then her boss did something wildly inappropriate or in Cuomo's case, like it was a pattern for years and years and it's finally all his chickens are coming home to roost. Um, I find it disturbing to just, I mean, when you read through the allegations, it's, they run the gamut and it's clear from his resignation speech which is not really that apologetic. It's very mm-hmm. interesting how he tries to balance, like, I'm I'm sorry, no excuses, no excuses for this behavior, while 
providing many, many different excuses and justifications <laughs> for like what he's doing um, and what he what he has done. Um, it's bothersome. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I. uh, I mean, some of the stuff is like, I think, I believe it's like one of the executive assistants like accused him of groping her under her shirt. Um, The comments are so out of line. Like the the comments about you should play strip poker. Do you date older men? I mean, any sort of belly touching is like, if someone, if someone is touching your belly in a professional context, that person is crossing the line with many people all the time. He's lost track. He has no idea like what's coming or going, frankly, like there's no, there are no boundaries (laughs) for this person. Yeah. And for him blaming it on the line being redrawn, it's like, "Mm, honey, that was like never cool to do. Um, No, like generational. Yeah, he's a victim of the times. I feel like that's how he's framing it. And it's like, no, you're touching your fucking employees like inappropriately and saying fucked up shit. Um, right. Just because you could get away with it for such a long time doesn't mean it was good or right. You know, it's no, always been right. wrong and bad, and probably always been against the whatever the HR policy wherever you've been is. Um, it's just right. he's been able to float above it all um, and act like he's, you know, walking on water, made of gold, whatever. Made of gold. Made of gold. You know that expression? <laughs> safe, safe in that Albany, you know, that, yeah, just like that Albany atmosphere, which is New York State is also notoriously, notoriously has like one of the more corrupt um, state houses, sort of like state legislature. Um, I don't know. Like it's it's one of the more corrupt places in the country just notoriously um and it seems like he thrives there and especially that most recent thing like you said with the ronan farrow reporting from the new yorker which came out yesterday um it's really i mean the the audacity the fact that he he felt comfortable calling valerie jarrett um who is a senior advisor to obama and he was trying to get um uh attorney general for the Southern District of New York, Preet Bharara, to um, basically drop this whole investigation that was kind of getting close to him, getting too close to him. Apparently he was like, he's like, your guy's out of control. I mean, that's like, that is super inappropriate. And I do hope that that, um, I mean, I think Preet, I didn't listen to his... um, I'm on on like a pseudo half vacation right now. So I'm sort of like less connected to the news than I normally would be and less connected to the podcast that I would normally be listening to. But um, I am very interested to listen to Preet's. Um, He has a couple of podcasts and he apparently did discuss this new reporting by Ronan Farrow. And I think he called it, he said like mischief, it sounds like mischief was afoot, you know, which is like Mm -hmm. a very nice way for him to basically say like this seems it seems like there was a there was interference into my investigation when I was you know an attorney general for the southern district of New York I mean operating I that's the type of that's the type of interference um obstruction of justice that we we call out you know we called out Trump for Giuliani you know, all of these guys acting in this like thuggish way because they think that they have immunity. New York. (laughs) Right. It's like this guy is acting like a mobster. Um, So I am interested to see what else kind of comes of that. And I I have to read the whole, this whole reporting from, from Ronan because I um, have not full disclosure. (laughs) I kind of like skimmed it, Uh, but it's, it's a, it does seem like most things that um, Ronan does, it's like deeply sourced and like, mm-hmm. I'm glad it just leads to, it leads to an expedited, uh, it felt like Ronan's piece came out yesterday morning and then 
Cuomo resigned like a few hours later, which I'm sure he probably already was going to. It, but it does feel like when Ronan Farrow gets his hands on uh, documents related to you, you better you better run, <laughs> run for the hills. Oh yeah, yeah. Mischief was definitely afoot. Um, yeah. The sidebar. I don't know why Woody Allen hasn't like fully been canceled. Um, oh my god. For another day, I suppose. Did you watch that documentary on Woody Allen? I did. It was wildly disturbing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we were going to talk about that like at some point and it just maybe just kept getting bumped off of our, off of our list. But yeah, TLDR Woody Allen uh, is fucked up and uh, predator and manipulative. And also I think thinks he's too powerful for to be touched um so. yeah what do you think of the commentary around what like the the like the enduring power of me too or like whether or not this is going to be a turning point for the me too movement like is this is this going to be like you know i hate i hate that with every man who has any sort of accountability or any sort of public reckoning. It's like we start like waxing poetic about like exactly what moment in history, what this means for the me too movement. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like I've so many times it's been like, is this the turning point? Is this the turning point? Is this, I don't think we're making any sharp turns. I think we've been Mm -hmm. veering in the right (laughs) direction with some turn, you know, (laughs) <laughs> veers to the wrong direction um i see it more as like an an accumulation of these things is good but you know for every big thing like this we have so many uh, other stories that are either unreported or you know like the olympics like things that situations where things that would fall under the me too umbrella are not either taken seriously or don't have the outcome that would be what we would want you know so it's like yeah I do think we're having conversations and holding people accountable in a way that we maybe wouldn't have um historically but I don't think any one of these is like the turning point I think we're on a an overall good track it seems like with with these things but I think it's also a you know two steps forward, a step and a half back kind of vibe. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I think the Me Too movement has been great and powerful and I think good things are happening and, you know, women are in a lot of instances are more empowered to speak up. Men are more often held accountable, but I think it's still, um, there's a lot of fucking work to be done um, mm-hmm. still. So I don't think, I don't think this is going to be the big, uh, the big uh, turning point in um in all of this you know it's yes like when um i don't even want to say his name but when the murder of george floyd was held accountable i think people also were like this is the changing point but it's also you know, how many all right yes that's it's a good thing that happened there are things in the works but the problem is still massive you know mm-hmm. it's like i think people like the idea of turning points and things changing but I, I don't think there is kind of a, a quick momentary fix to any of this I think it's just going to be a fucking drudge right but I totally agree maybe maybe it's a turning point <laughs> that'd be great <laughs> sign me up yeah. for it but I doubt it yeah it's so funny I completely agree with you I and I also feel like it's while this is very important and it is a very good thing that he is stepping down and has been pressured to step down um, and we should continue to hold these men accountable. um, It is so hard not to like, let this, let this moment just, it seems like it's already receding, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, it's, it was like top of the headlines this week. And I've already, I'm already kind of like, yeah, but you know, this should have happened and I'm so glad it did. And like on to the next one mm-hmm. <laughs> or just sort of like, yeah, goodbye. Bye. I don't know. Get out of like goodbye. And, um, like lingering on, on a lot of different thought pieces or 
yeah, just just uh, writings about Andrew Cuomo specifically or his timelines or the ways in which, of course, he's he, this is damaging to women. It's sort of like this is the cycle with every single man who has who has behaved badly and who who deserves accountability and his 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 moment um, his moment of accountability. But it's it, it, it does get exhausting. It's exhausting to kind of read these abuses and then hear the man kind of defend himself. Um, I wouldn't call, you know, he, it was kind of some gaslighting, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. no excuse for what I did. Also, I really didn't do anything wrong, but sorry for no excuse. (laughs) Here's my list of excuses. (laughs) Right. Of course. He also invoked his daughters, which is like classic. Mm. I mean, another like just never bring up your you should be able to behave like a human being with boundaries without invoking your daughter it's so paternalistic and gross it is and it's like spoiler alert men with daughters men with wives men with nieces and (laughs) female colleagues can all be sexual predators you know yeah Um, every every man has a mother to some extent um yeah and it doesn't like it's just it's such a cheap fucking stupid <laughs> thing that so many people like i think especially other men will like eat up because they're like yeah you know what i do i have a daughter too and i care about her right i, I wouldn't do this to my daughter so he must not have done this to this other woman it's like no men like he puts different women in different categories and different boxes and you can also love somebody and still be shitty toward them um so no it's just like the like oh i'm not racist i have a black friend right Um, you can still that's not how any of this works (laughs) like that's not what we're uh, no 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 (laughs) so lazy and just and i hate how effective it can be too yes people lap it up people lap it up and they yeah it's frustrating. Ugh. Oh man. But yeah, glad he's glad he's held accountable. The amount of time and manpower it took to take him down is a, uh, you know, I think Probably. Proof, proof enough that we we haven't solved uh, haven't solved anything yet. But we're we're working toward it, and I'm glad he's resigning. Even though he's you know he's got he gave himself two weeks notice, you know, but yeah, <laughs> he's like fourteen days. Oh my god. Some things. I don't know. But we'll see what happens. Uh he's resigning. Yay, first woman governor of New York. Uh we'll see. I'm sure more things will come out for years to come about this guy. Yeah. I agree. Anything else on Mr. Cuomo before uh we move to We See Us? Nah. I mean I hope one day he actually does learn what he did wrong and devolves, but uh, he probably won't. So I just hope that um, things continue to veer in the right direction. And, you know, men like him over the years will slowly be removed from power and stop being put in power, you know, but (laughs) (laughs) it's just my little, my little wish, my little hope over here. Oh, it's a, it's a nice wish. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that help that too. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now for we see you. All right. This first one is quite sad. And, um, and this happened um, in 2019, but it's back in the news and I hadn't heard about it then. And I, it's uh, well, you'll see. So Kenneth French was shopping with his parents in California at a Costco. Um, And Kenneth was 32 years old, had an intellectual disability, and he um, allegedly uh, slapped an off-duty police officer in the head while standing in line for food samples. And the officer, Salvador Sanchez, um, took out his handgun, his, like, department-issued handgun. He was off-duty and fired about 10 times, uh, killed Kenneth, injured his parents and sent bullets throughout the store could have injured anyone. Um, 
And at the time, they fired him, but they declined to criminally indict him. Um, but um, thankfully, they have the California Attorney General announced Monday that he filed manslaughter and assault charges against him. Um, and this is after a report came out. Because uh, Sanchez said he was um, defending himself and he thought his life was at risk. Um, but when he the shots were fired, he was 20 feet away from Terry. Um, from Kenneth French. I don't know why I called him Terry. He's about 20 feet away and he shot him in the back. And according to um, witnesses, the family was all moving away from um, Sanchez when he shot at them. So it's, I mean, one of a million examples of police brutality. And it's always particularly heart wrenching when the person who is harmed or killed has a an intellectual disability um because I, we've seen that in other instances and it's it's just extra disgusting when that happens um and it is you know how many how many officers have gotten away with things like that saying they were oh i'm in fear for my life and you know this attorney general opened the case back up because of the evidence but how many of these cases were closed, no wrongdoing ever found, with these people put back out on the streets, you know, serving and protecting. It's it's just so wrong on so many levels. It's disgusting. I'm glad that there is, again, I'm glad there's accountability happening now, but where was that then? What do we need to do to stop these things from happening? Um, it's it's an atrocity and we need some serious serious reform around who uh, who gets to be a police officer what that means um because we have uh, a few too many bad apples in this orchard uh i think so we see you to officer uh sanchez for murdering kenneth french and endangering everyone in that store that day um because he was pissed off um so we see you we see you we see you ma that's so sad um okay um my first one is just for the wall street journal generally (laughs) the wall street journal op-ed section specifically but then more specifically just because over the last few days you know i saw first there was an um opinion piece um that was talking about uh, the headline was a pediatric association stifles debate on gender dysphoria. And the subtitle is doctors who question the orthodoxy won't be allowed to set up a booth at its annual conference. Um, So this uh, piece by Abigail Schreier on August 9th, it's like asking like, is it safe for adolescents to undergo gender quote transition? Is it wise for children to take hormones to block puberty? Um, The air, she basically says like she's criticizing the American Academy of Pediatrics for not allowing there to be debate on this issue for people that are attending the conference. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the, first of all, it takes like two seconds to go to the, um, American Academy of Pediatrics, like sort of general page on supporting and caring for transgender children. This is a this is the American Academy of Pediatrics in association with the uh, Human Rights Campaign um, and Human Rights Campaign Foundation and the American College of Osteopathic Pediatricians. Um, And, you know, so they have their the most updated sort of science and, and, and um, sort of guidelines for parents and for caretakers and for people who are trying to help um, children who might be experiencing gender dysphoria. Um, There are definitions for gender, gender expansion, sex and gender identity, gender expression, um, and kind of break things down for people like what the most updated science says about gender dysphoria and, and how to help uh, children and teenagers who are um, experiencing this. It really, really bothers me when um, conservatives call like the most updated science by the American uh, science research um, um, social studies, like uh, um, 
of of what children need, um, like psychiatric care, physical. I don't know. It, it, the most updated um, medical research and and all the resources that are being put into this by uh, the people and the institutions who who are trusted in the care of children generally. Um, it bothers me when then um, it's turned, it's flipped into a culture war when um, the American Academy of Pediatrics is just kind of simply saying like, if you're going to come in here and basically advocate something that's kind of against the most recent um, research that we have on how to be a good caretaker for a child or a teenager experiencing gender dysphoria. Um, You know, you can't set up a booth at our conference. And then of course, you know, the wall street journal, and I've noticed this, you know, recently with other kind of like more right-leaning institutions will call like, call it like orthodoxy, this sort of like just informed, updated medical opinions and research that is like backed up by, I don't know, just backed up by the most trusted, like preeminent institutions on how to help care for children. Um, It's not an orthodoxy. It's just like, you know, the earth isn't flat, (laughs) you know, turfs kind of turfs suck, you know, there's like, (laughs) it's just, and this is like, I'm kind of like just, stumbling through it because I just was sort of like rolling my eyes, basically feeling like there's um, people saying like, there's an orthodoxy. There's this like mandated care by the American Academy of Pediatrics. And it's like making it sound like it's so austere and they're shutting down research and debate. And it's kind of like, uh, I don't think that they're really doing that. I mean, there's, this is like, there are leading institutions internationally who are also kind of all on the same page about how to help children dealing with gender dysphoria. And there's still a lot to learn and a lot to like a lot of research to still be done so that we can make all of like make this experience for children and teens um, better and help parents better understand how they can help their kids and and help caretakers and um, physicians and and that all needs to happen, but it doesn't have to be, um, I don't think it's like, it's, you know, using the word orthodoxy about this type of thing is like one quick way to basically minimize and dismiss just like where we're at with the most recent research and science. I don't know. It's like, it makes it seem like you're equating, uh, treating, children experiencing gender dysphoria, uh, you know, if you're treating them with empathy and allowing them to make choices about what they want to do, um, you know, with their parents, it's, it's not, it's not orthodoxy. It's just compassionate and informed care, um, at least <laughs> to my mind. And we talked about this last year when we kind of got into JK Rowling and turfs. Um, and, and, and I need to get into it more just so that I can speak a little bit more intelligently about it, but I just, I'm frustrated when places like the Wall Street Journal um, just are are so casually dismissive of like the human rights campaign in association with the American Academy of Pediatrics and call it like just an orthodoxy where they're trying to shut down other people's ideas. It's like, that's not what it was anyway. And the, and and on top of that, then I saw a Wall Street Journal piece that was also talking about, um, anti-vaxxers feeling judged (laughs) um like and someone on twitter pointed out like oh suddenly like the fuck your feelings group are feeling like they're feeling judged or they you know maybe maybe everyone who's getting vaccinated is sort of like uh fuck your feelings you know (laughs) get vaccinated anyway i just there's some platforming of some sort of frustrating um ideas under the guise of like just asking questions just posing an alternative viewpoint and of course it's just like mm, kind of gross so to the wall street journal op-ed section we see you we see you um so people are probably aware of the best-selling book so you want to talk about race uh by joma uloo uh which came out or it got very popular around when the the protests were happening um around George Floyd and police brutality. Um, 
And around that time, an Instagram popped up called So You Want to Talk About, uh, not not run by the author, run by a white woman, a Bernie supporter. And at that time, she was reached out to and the Instagram, um, the runner of the Instagram. And she was just like, oh, well, I'll make a disclaimer that it's not um, like I'm not you and kind of left it there. Didn't make like some large disclaimer or anything, just kind of made a post one day. And then just continued to go on. And uh, the Instagram that she was running was um, sort of making like digestible pieces about social justice and things like that. Um, And then she gets offered a book deal. Um, And it's been, uh, (laughs) it it got brought back up basically um, in a more public way. And while the first time around, this uh, Instagram uh, author didn't really do anything about it, um, now that it's been more publicized, she is, this is sort of a a positive, I guess, positive outcome to it. Um, She changed the name of the page itself. She's pausing publication of the book because at that point with the book, it's like you were capitalizing on the work of a woman of color. Mm -hmm. Um, And she is also going to be um, working toward in her posts because she would have collaborators who who would often be people of color, marginalized communities. And it wouldn't really be prominent. Like it would still be like her branding and her thing when all she would have done is like actually like created the post, but she wanted to putting the words behind them. So she's mm. also kind of co-opting voices of color and, you know, marketing it as her content, her her words, her thoughts, her ideas. So she said she'll stop doing that. Um, so it is, I mean, it's good that she's doing these things now. Um, it's interesting that she didn't do it at the time when she was, you know, it was originally brought to her attention. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of makes me a little <laughs> question it a little bit. Um, because it's, I think everyone deserves space to like hear and listen and grow and whatnot. But, um, the fact that the first time around she didn't really address it in any way, shape or form her, you know, millions of followers. But mm-hmm. then when it became a public issue, then she, you know, went out and, and did these corrections. So it's, um, it's good. I suppose that she's doing those things. That's what we would want to happen. But in general, if you are, um, you know, using the words of people of color, of marginalized communities, and not giving them credit and profiting off of it. Um, it's, a, it's a bad idea. Um, it's not true allyship. It's not the way to go about things. Um, so while I guess I appreciate that she is making this effort now, we see you for the damage that she has uh, done thus far. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you talked about that. That's, uh, it just seems like a really preventable issue, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, just ask yourself a couple of basic questions. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Um, my next one is that Tennessee aims to levy fines starting at a million dollars and rising up to five million dollars on school districts each time one of their teachers is found to have, quote, knowingly violated state restrictions on classroom discussions about systemic racism, white privilege and sexism, according to guidance proposed by the state's Department of Education last week. This is coming from um, Education Week and uh I am disgusted. Um, Teachers could also be disciplined or lose their licenses for teaching that the United States is inherently racist or sexist or making a student feel guilt or anguish because of past actions committed by their race or sex. (sighs) Um, I think the first thing that like I want to say about this is that, and I, again, it's a comment that, I make so often I realize it's runs the risk of being incredibly redundant but I feel like the best learning that ever happened to me in uh 
my public school education was in high school history class when I was explicitly made to feel uncomfortable about my race like and class. And like, because I had never really thought about it. Um, and my teacher who was a white man who also was a socialist, um, just kind of started off by saying like, congratulations for being in this class. Like you're in the top like 1% of public schools and you have a lot of privilege and there's nothing that you did to deserve it. You don't not deserve it, but you don't deserve it more than other people. And it was like the first day of class and, um, teaching things in a way that made me understand a lot more about the role of money. And then the role of race, uh, in American history was like, game changing. And I think because it happened earlier in my education, it happened when I was six, 15 or 16, you kind of absorb the discomfort and you move past it. And so for people who never absorb any of that discomfort, um, they're, we're starting to see this like incredible, um, censorship. And again, from people like the, the odd, one of the ironies is that it comes from conservatives who are constantly bleeding about can cancel culture. They're complaining about like a war on thought and like free exercise, like first amendment and like just general restrictions on freedom. But then it's like when we're talking about educating students, suddenly there's a lot of phrases and a lot of like a lot of the truth of the way that our country grew, the founding, the development. It, it, you need to talk about systemic racism. You need to talk about white privilege and sexism and um, all of these things that are embedded in our country's in our country's history. It's so incredibly important. Um, and the guilt or anguish, I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole, I mean, like a good teacher could just make you feel, I mean, awareness, awareness, like awareness of your past, awareness of what like white people did to everyone else. Um, and you can just be a person who is existing in the world with awareness. Um, and <sighs> I don't know. I just, it's so insane to me. A million dollars, a million dollars. Um, that type of censorship, we're going down a really, um, it, we're going into a really scary dark place where, when it comes to, um, educating, you know, pu public school history education. So it's become like a huge battleground. Um, and I think we should all prepare for this because, um, and be on our guard because, uh, there are so many, there are lots of limitations coming just like, you know, with voter suppression laws, it's like, there's also a lot of, um, thought suppression happening. Um, and in public schools and it's really scary. We should be super, aware of it and fight back against it. Um, and, uh, I really hope that something like this doesn't pass where, where teachers are fined millions of dollars for systemic races, for discussing systemic racism. And also like who is going to be, you're going to have kids tattle or parents. I mean, how is this even going to work? But like, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure conservative counties will find a way. So to them, I, to Tennessee, um, department of education, we see you. We see you. That is some truly, truly awful kind of terrifying shit. Mm -hmm. All right. A, um, maybe a less significant, we see you, but one I feel with passion, um, Greg <laughs> Grippo, bachelorette <laughs> contestant. Um, well, I, I feel like red flag for me. Number one was in the first episode when she's like, when she, the bachelorette, Katie Thurston said that he reminded her of his, of her ex. I was like, Oh no, <laughs> there's going to be trouble here. <laughs> She's going to try to like, you know, anyway, so the whole season, it's like he, he grows on her and on all of us in Bachelor Nation. Um, you know, he seems open and vulnerable, like a, you know, capital N, capital G, nice guy. Um, we slowly turn to being team Greg and she validates like the shit out of him. Um, he got the first impression rose. He got two one-on-one um, -on -one dates early on, got validation every single week, um, which might not mean things to a lot of people, but basically she was 
she's basically like telling him like you're the front runner you know um <laughs> and then like giving him nothing but like positive positive feedback and then in the hometown dates uh which is where she goes to meet the families of her her final few contestants uh, for love <laughs> he tells his whole family that you know she's she's the one he'd never been so happy in a relationship all this stuff um and then he goes to tell her and she's made it very clear to all of them she's not gonna say i love you to anybody until it's like the very end she wants to save that for like the last person there like very clear Anyhow, so he tells her that he loves her and she doesn't say it back because she wasn't going. I mean, she basically said, like, you'll be here next week. Um, she told her his family that he was like the front runner. Like she basically did everything she could to make this guy feel better. But in the first the first time he's not like 100 percent completely validated, he completely loses his shit. He um I would say, well, some people argue that gaslighting is only gaslighting if it's like a pattern of behavior. But he completely flips the switch, um, tells her that she's not the person that he thought he was. she was because she's not giving him what he needs. And she's like begging him to stay. She's crying and he's just being a complete asshole to her. Um, all because he didn't get his little, his, his fifis validated for the first time. And he that's when you learn, you know he's not actually a nice guy he was just sharing some feelings and then the second that he doesn't isn't like washed in um val you know validation and exactly what he wants he turns into a complete asshole um and belittles her and treats her like she's done something wrong i just kind of burped <laughs> treats, <laughs> treats her like she's done something wrong um like completely emotionally manipulates her just really makes her and she's like sitting there questioning what did i do what did i say she didn't fucking do or say anything wrong um he was just a fragile fragile boy acting like he was a man and you know we should have we should have known from the beginning greg but we gave him a chance and he let us down so we see you to greg grippo because i feel like that is just a thing it's easy to be a nice guy when things are going your way but the way that you respond when something happens that you don't like, I think, says a lot more about a person than how you respond when things are going well. Mm -hmm. um, and so we see who you really are, Greg. OK, um, <laughs> we see you, Greg Grippo. We see you. So obnoxious. He sounds phony. like garbage. <laughs> phony. <laughs> Ugh. All right. Well, my last we see you is um, a kind of quick one. It's just an environmental, just, it's just an environmental one. Whatever. Um, <laughs> um, I was recently in the COVID riddled, um, scary state of Florida. Um, and so I was seeing a lot of news about um, like a red tide of, that was killing thousands of fish and causing these like toxic algae blooms um, and causing sharks to have to basically flock to different areas of Florida canals um, to seek refuge. Um, and it's wreaking havoc um, in the Gulf. Um, lots of different, different types of sharks, different fish are being killed um, and then they're just washing up on shore in Florida with this like gross smell of dead fish. And apparently um, this year it was, it's like a lot bigger than other years. And sometimes it's just like this natural, it's this naturally occurring kind of like dead zone apparently in the Gulf where fish do die just based on kind of a lot of different um, environmental factors, but one of the main ones that causes the toxic algae to bloom and uh, grow the dead zone is human activity. Um, and all this like bad bacteria causes the algae to just like go out of control and the warming waters are making it worse. Um, and yeah, so just like wreaking havoc on some of the state's oceans and beaches from Florida, actually to Louisiana, to Texas, um, just kind of a mess. Um, and yeah, it just, it, 
it's interesting to me. I mean, it, it feels like a yet another situation. It just it, like anywhere that you are looking in geographically in the United States, there are um, major, major issues, like major issues caused by human activity, by global warming in the water and on land. Um, and it doesn't seem like, um, Governor DeSantis, like shockingly, he doesn't really care. He's not interested in declaring a state of emergency that would free up more resources to clean up these like dead fish um, uh, and just thinks that declaring a state of emergency would hurt tourism, which, of course, as we know, is like all he cares about, even when there's a pandemic killing a lot of people in his state and causing the ICUs to fill up for a second year in a row. Um, so yeah, it's just another, it's another way in which the climate is um, going to hell and um, it's affecting humans and um, quality of life for humans and quality of life, obviously for fish and for sharks and um, the area when you look up like how, how like the area that this red tide is actually affecting in the Gulf. It's a huge, it looks really big <laughs> is my non-scientific uh, commentary on that. So yeah, it's just kind of a, we see you to, I guess Ron DeSantis, but just a general, we see you to the the situation in the Gulf. Ugh. Ugh, we see you. I remember some red tide moments in SoCal. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty spooky, pretty spooky stuff. Um, spooky. Good thing. Um, all 50 states have had rising vaccination rates um, for COVID. So mm-hmm. that's good. And there have been some real big increases in places that really fucking need it, like Arkansas, Louisiana, places that had really, really low rates. So um, I'm glad that the bonkers um, increase in cases due to Delta that there is actually a response <laughs> from people to get vaccinated mm-hmm. um, because it certainly can feel sometimes like uh, people that have chosen not to get vaccinated and not those that, who haven't because of, you know, medical reasons or not eligible, but for people who are, it was just like, is anyone going <laughs> to change their mind? Um, so I yeah. am glad to see that at least um, that in all 50 States vaccine uh, rates are going up. So good um we still need a lot more people to do it but yep it's very 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 good that that is actually happening across the board um in fact people are changing their minds or for those that just like didn't get around to it they're like you know what i should uh, probably get around to it so yeah. way to go people you, you're doing it you're doing it <laughs> love to see it yeah you do love to see it Right. Well, that's all. That's all I got, man. Yep. Nope. That is that is all good on my end. I am. Uh, I am a little pile of sweat over here in the Berkshire, so <laughs> it's a good place to call it. <laughs> <laughs> you poor thing. Um, Feminists Without Mystique is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.com/podcasts. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.